U.S. Navy history arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and I am joined, as always, by the venerable Exo Stephen. Hey there, everyone. So, today, we are starting on the Civil War. The American Civil War, since, you know, American podcast. Oh, way down south in the land of traitors, rattlesnakes and alligators far away. Get away. I didn't research those next lines. I was about to say, good job, you've been practicing, but obviously, <laughs> no. No, no, I have not. <laughs> There's only so far uh, bluffing can get you. Yes, yes. About the uh, three quarters of the way through the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> so... As always, we're going to start with the overview before getting into the actual naval battle. So, are you ready to get underway, Exo? Let's cast off. So, this is the time period of 1861 to 1865, in which the United States faced off the United States. And in this corner, in the red, white, and blue trunks, the United States, and in the opposite corner, in very similar trunks... The Confederate States, guys, what the hell? Yep, exactly. So, as I'm sure everyone is aware, the causes of a civil war is complex and controversial, you know? And this one is no different. And, of course, with this one, the issue has been further complicated by historical revisionists who have tried to offer a variety of different reasons for the war. But, and if anybody disagrees, they can go do whatever they want with themselves. Slavery was and always will be the central source of tension in this period. Anybody who disagrees, I heartily invite you to look up the statements that each individual secessionist state brought forward stating slavery being a key institution for their reason of leaving the Union. It's right there in black and white. Yeah. So the Republican Party was determined to prevent the spread of slavery past where it already was. And as the Exo just stated, the Southern leaders, they were like, if you don't give us slavery, we're going to succeed from the Union. And they also said, and if Lincoln wins, we're out. So, of course, Lincoln wins. And he did it without carrying any southern state. He got put into office by just the northern states. He didn't even show up on the ballot for several southern states. That is not surprising to me. And so the southern states were like, they did it. We said what was going to happen if you put that tall stovepipe hat wearing MFer in office. You put him in the office. That means you're not listening to us. That means we have no representation. So guess what? We're going to do it. So let's dive into the specific issues that caused this. And of course, number one is the slavery issue. This issue was Mostly about whether the system was evil 
and that it was incompatible with the Republicans of the United States, or if it was a state-based property system protected by the Constitution. So what the anti-slavery forces wanted to stop the expansion and then start defeating the practice and getting rid of slavery, period. At this point, it had been illegal to import slaves for, what, about 30 years and change, if not 40 years as well? It was illegal in the northern states, and it was illegal to import slaves into the United States, period. Mm-hmm. Didn't stop it. No, but, but plenty of smugglers. Yeah. But the federal government slowly but surely had been introducing more and more legislation to, like you said, you know, halt the spread, or at the very least slow it. And then gradually get rid of it. Correct. So the South, they wanted to keep what they had, and they perceived what the Republicans were doing as infringing upon their constitutional rights. So... There were some compromises in the 1820s and 1850s, but this issue exploded in the 1850s. Some of these were admitting Missouri as a slave state in the 20s. And then when Texas was acquired, they were also a slave state in 1845. And also the Mexican-American War, they... After that was won, the status of slavery in those brand new territories as well. The North attempted to exclude slavery from the conquered territories, which was put in the Wilmot Proviso. Now, it passed in the House, but it failed in the Senate. So, you know, not clear as what's going to happen. And about this time as well, Uncle Tom's Cabin came out. That was a publication that really, really angered the northern population. This was a book that described the horrors of slavery. And like this it, was written by Harriet Beecher Stowe. It was semi-fictional, but based off a lot of first-hand experiences, right? I've never read it myself. So, Uncle Tom's Cabin is historical fiction. This It was inspired by the life of Josiah Hansen. So, yes, historical fiction. So, because of disagreements over the North wanting to end slavery and the South wanting to keep slavery, this pretty much destroyed and shut down the Whig and know-nothing political parties. And... It also splits the Democratic Party between the North and South. And, of course, the Republican Party, always against slavery. And I will say at this time that if anybody listening does not know, the modern Democratic and Republican parties are switched in this period of time. Republicans were the very liberal and progressive-leaning party, and Democrats were very much the let's maintain the status quo or, you know... Maybe look back a couple decades, see if we uh, maybe should go back to that kind of legislation. Right. So most of the observers believe that without expansion, slavery would eventually die out. This is what Lincoln argued in 
1845, and then again in 1858. And the South in this time also saw an increasing number of slaves leaving the border states through sales, uh, escapes, and manumission. And also during this time on the border, they actually had more free African-American and European immigrants than the rest of the South which increased the southern fears that slavery is being threatened with the rapid expansion in the area. The South also had a fear that they needed slavery because their tobacco and cotton products were wearing out the soil. So they needed more places to be able to grow their harvests while the soil that they had been decimating for 40, 50 years already recovers. And so they needed more slaves to be able to do that. They had people trying to reopen the international slave trade to populate the territory with more slaves because they were, I guess, running low. And the South also demanded for a slave code. This was to ensure slavery in the territories, and this is what split the Democratic Party between the North and South. In an attempt to settle this fight over slavery expansion, abolitionists and pro-slavery elements send their representatives into Kansas. They used ballots and bullets. This led to a miniature civil war in Bleeding, Kansas. This was led by pro-South presidents Franklin Pierce and James Buchanan as they attempted to force the Kansas administration to become a slave state. And you had people from uh, both the North and the South, you know, settling out there in droves just to, you know, be there for the ballots being cast to sway yeah. slave or free state. Yeah. And this is where John Brown got his uh, initial start with infamy. That is very interesting. So, the 1857 constitutional rejection of the pro-slavery Lee Compton Constitution, this was the first multi-party, pretty solid n northern vote and it was a solid vote that was anti-slavery. And this was supported by the Democratic majority in the Kansas Territory. So, of course, once this happened, the Southerners, they needed their violence. They were like, voting didn't work, let's try bullets. <laughs> and so this is when Southern Congressman Preston Brooks physically assaults a Republican senator named Charles Sumner. Is, is this the caning incident? I believe so. This is when he ridiculed prominent slaveholders as pimps for slavery. So, as I said before, the disagreements over slavery caused the Whig and the Know-Nothing parties to pretty much collapse. And it caused the Democratic Party to pretty much separate along sectional lines. 
And so this allowed the Northerners to mobilize in 1860 behind Abraham Lincoln because he was the one to most likely carry the Western states. In 1857, the Supreme Court made a decision that was called the Dred Scott decision. And this ended the Congressional Compromise for popular sovereignty in Kansas. What this means is that slavery in the territories was a property right of any settler, regardless of the majority there. The Chief Justice's decision said that slaves were, quote, so far inferior that they had no rights with which the white man was bound to respect, end quote. God, that was... I gotta go wash my mouth out. I, I was gonna say here, I made a little cocktail, a bit of bleach, a bit of hand soap too. I don't want to kill you, but and a little lemon to help it go down easier. <laughs> the decision overturned the Missouri Compromise, which banned slavery in the Northern Territory. So of course the Republicans they were like, "What? What is this crap? No, we we we're denouncing this stuff." We're going to overturn it. And Abraham Lincoln, he warned that the next Dred Scott decision could threaten the northern states with slavery. The Republican Party called slavery a national evil. And Lincoln believed that it would die a natural death if it were contained. But that's the problem they're having is containing it. Mm -hmm. There was a Democrat... Stephen A. Douglas, he developed the Freeport Doctrine to attempt to appeal to both the North and the South. Douglas argued that Congress could not decide either for or against slavery before a territory was settled. Even though he had said this, the anti-slavery majority in Kansas could stop slavery with its own local laws if their police would uphold the law. But, of course, the debate over all of this was cut short when John Brown raided the Harper's Ferry Armory in 1859 in an attempt to incite slave insurrectionists. All these little rebellions and insurrections always seem to start with a ferry. I have noticed that myself. The southern political defense of slavery pretty much transformed into a widespread expansion of local militias and armed defense for their their own domestic institutions. Now Lincoln he had a, so Lincoln he thought about this for a little while in 1860 he said quote the question of slavery was more important than any other. Indeed so much more important has it become that no other national question can even get a hearing just at present. Unquote. Well, that doesn't sound similar to what's going on right now at all. So what he's saying here is that this issue is so heated that we can't tackle any other issues until this is done. P pretty much the government is deadlocked until this is resolved. Yeah. So then the Republicans gain a majority in both the House and the Senate for the first time 
since about 1856. So this is going to give Lincoln a majority that he needs to start moving things along. And while this is happening, the Southern Vice President, a man named Alexander Stevens, any relation? No, and not to Stephen Douglas either, as long as we're on the subject. Okay, good. In his cornerstone speech, he declared that the new Confederate Constitution has put a rest forever to all the agitating questions relating to their particular institutions. I'm sorry, new Confederate Constitution, um... Was anybody consulted about this? Or is he just like, oh, hey, by the way, we did a thing. It's for real, and uh, you have to totally respect it. I think that's the way it goes. Hmm. But to continue his quote, African slavery as it exists among us, the proper status of the Negro in our form of civilization. This was the immediate cause of the late rupture and present revolution. So he's saying... It's on, boys. So the Republican administration enacted the Confiscation Acts that set the conditions for emancipation of slaves prior to the official proclamation of emancipation. So another reason, now that we got the big one defined, was states' rights. The Southern position was that citizens of every state had the right to take their property anywhere in the United States and not have it taken away. Specifically, they're slaves. What they're trying to argue is, I am a citizen of Louisiana. I own slaves. If I'm so inclined to move westward and settle into Kansas, as I was grandfathered in as a citizen of Louisiana... My ownership of these people is grandfathered in. Yep. Now, the Northerners rejected this right because it would violate the right of a state to outlaw slavery within its borders. So, as you see, it's already going right back to slavery. Yep. Now, the South argued that each state also had the right to leave the Union at any time they wanted and that the Constitution was a agreement among the states. Northerners rejected that notion as a opposition to the will of the Founding Fathers, who said that they were setting up a perpetual union. Then there was also sectionalism. This refers to the different economies and social structures, customs, and political values of the northern and southern states. This increased between 1800 to 1860s as the north phased slavery out of existence. Oh, look at that. The third thing, right back to slavery. Yep. This also included industrialization, urbanizing, and prosperous farms. And while the south concentrated on plantation agriculture, cash crops, yeah, based on what? Tobacco and cotton. Whereas... Which is which is based on? Smoking and clothing? Slavery. Oh, yes. I was just going to say, like, a lot of northern farms are more focused on, you know, food crop 
rather than cash crop. Yeah. And the South expanding into the Southwest, all those territories between pretty much Texas and California that have not officially become part of the U.S. yet. But, you know, they're part of the U.S. Yeah, territories. Yep. And so because of all of this, pretty much what it is is all the industrial areas saw a decline in slavery, while the rural areas are the ones that were like, we need more of it. We can't convince people to move out here, and you guys aren't letting us buy more people to force to live out here and work for us. What are we rich folks supposed to do? Right. And the South had another problem. Of course they had another problem. What was it this time? Too hot and humid? No, their cash crops, the cotton, yeah. for instance, the demand for that started skyrocketing. Which means the price of slaves started skyrocketing. Now, there's been some debates on whether the economic differences between the industrial areas and the rural agricultural areas helped cause the war, which, of course, money always will start, will be a, uh, money is always a reason to start a war. The fear of slave revolts and the abolitionist propaganda made the South militantly hostile to the abolitionists that were pushing along that propaganda. And they also complained that the North was changing and was prone to all these new isms that were happening while the South wanted to stay true to Republican values of the founding fathers. So they don't like modern conveniences like factories or manufacturing and... The comforts of modern living are corrupting the souls of the youth and making them realize that slavery's bad. I mean, making them think that slavery's not a-okay. Yes. Now, Lincoln, he argued that, no, the Republicans are following the tradition of the framers of the Constitution by preventing expansion of slavery. Now, this issue also split the largest religious denominations as well really yep and this mainly included the methodist baptist and presbyterian churches so this is why we get northern and southern versions of those religions like southern baptist or northern baptist or no huh oh wow i huh and never falling into any of those denominations as a child, I never really thought about that. I just assumed yeah. uh, South, like Southern Baptist, the stereotype is like, boy, do they love their praise and worship and get really, it's a party. Nope, it was all because of slavery. Damn you, slavery. And you can quote me on that. You have been so quoted. Now, industrialization also meant that Seven out of eight European immigrants, they go to the north. Well, I I wonder why. Let's compare. Failing cash crops, um, very influenced by the haves and haves-nots society and 
you know, societal expectations in the South versus plenty of manufacturing jobs and, you know, not completely destroyed farmland from, you know, refusing to rotate out of cash crops in the North. Huh. Decisions, decisions. Yeah. And guess what? There's also twice as many whites leaving the South for the North then we're coming back from the north to the south. Oh, there's a joke I want to make. Joke I want to make so bad. <laughs> but this, this so, is already a topic that's going to cause people to be a little cross at us, so I won't. So this, of course, puts them on a aggressive, defensive, political front. Yeah, that means they're losing uh, Congress seats. Then we get into protectionism. Now, historically, the southern states, because of their low-cost manual labor, they did not perceive a need for mechanized instruments or machines. Yeah, why spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on a really fancy machine when I could just buy a new person or 12 yeah they also supported having the right to sell cotton and purchase manufactured goods from any nation now the northern states they have heavily invested in their manufacturing and they could they still could not complete with the full fledged industries of Europe so this made Europe to buy the cotton at very high prices and then at the north they were like we're not paying very much for all of your products because we can do it better <laughs> pretty much why would I buy from you when I can get it cheaper somewhere else you want to do it the old fashioned way and charge an arm and a leg because you're Five, six decades in the past, that's your choice. Capitalism, mm -hmm. baby! So, this made the North support tariffs and protectionism, while the South wanted free trade. They... Okay, but there's no income tax this time. There's no sales tax at this time. You need tariffs to have money for your governments to function. Where were yep. they going to get money for the government expenditures without tariffs? South didn't care. They just wanted the money in their pocket. I mean, okay. <laughs> so the Democrats in Congress, which are controlled by the Southerners, they write a tariff law in the 30s, 40s, and the 50s. And kept reducing the rates so that in 57, the rates were the lowest they've been since 1816. Now, the South, of course, they had no complaints about this. But this did anger the, the northern industrials and the factory workers. Especially, for some reason, in Pennsylvania. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Especially in Pennsylvania because of their growing ironworks industry. 
the Whigs and Republicans complained because they wanted high tariffs to stimulate industrial growth. And the Republicans called for an increase in tariffs in the 1860 election. So finally in 1861, after the Southerners lost all their seats and were replaced by Northerners, they get it. Uh, there was also a territorial crisis. This was between 1803 to 1854 because, you know, of the vast expansion of territory through both purchase and conquest, maybe a little negotiation, maybe a little bit. I mean, there was that small little stretch after the Mexican-American War that we bought. Like, actually bought. For half price. Yeah. So, of all of the states carved out of all of these territories by 1845, all of them had entered the Union as, guess, you can guess it. Um, I don't want to, but slave states? Well, territories? Yep. No, states. Louisiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Alabama, and Mississippi. And once the conquest of northern Mexico happened, they wanted to include California into this as well. Of course, California went, yeah, no, we're good. We'd like to be free. Well, the Southerners, they also were like, ooh, what about Cuba and Central America? We can go in there as well. That's where we're going to get our slaves. And so, you know, th this is just the ongoing issues that they're, they're battling over. So now we move on to national elections. So, you know, beginning in the revolution and accelerating after we beat Britain a second time in 1812, the people of the new union grew in their sense of country as they wanted to make a important example to the world of national republic and political liberty and of personal rights. Nationalism, of course, is a powerful force in the early 19th century. Now, while all of the northern people supported the Union, the southerners were split between loyalty to the entire United States or just to the southern region. So do you know what these two factions are? Uh, Federalists and Southerners? Unionists and Confederacy. Ah. Well, now we know where the name comes from. Yes. And it is kind of easy to understand why they might feel more loyalty to their region than the country as the whole. Like, this is the, you know early and mid-19th century. You know, national newspapers aren't that widespread even at this point, let alone the information age we live in where, you know, you and I can get news or, you know, word from anywhere, not just our country, but like that. Yeah. So the South, they moved towards Southern nationalism. And the North were becoming more and more nationally minded and rejected any notion of splitting the union. The Republican national electoral platform, they warned that the Republicans regarded disunionization as treason 
and would not tolerate it. They said, quote, We denounce those threats of disunion as denying the vital principles of a free government and as an avowal of contemplated treason, which it is the imperative duty of an indigent people sternly to rebuke and forever silence. Now, the South, of course, they ignore these warnings. I mean, it was a very elegant warning, mm -hmm. but it was still denounced. But the Southerners also did not realize how fiercely the North would fight to hold the Union together. So, after everything we've covered, the final straw was in 1860, when... Abraham Lincoln is elected president of the United States. You know, when all else fails and you can't get your point across and the person who you said, well, we don't want him as president gets elected president, you're left with two options. Deal with it or start throwing a tantrum that takes four years to resolve. Yeah. Efforts at compromise. This included the Corwin armament and the Crittenden compromise, they fail. And the Southern leaders feared that Lincoln would stop the expansion of slavery and put it on a course towards extinction, which is exactly what Lincoln said he was going to do. So I can understand their fear because he's going to do it. And, and to be clear, Lincoln never once said that he was going to like like, start forcibly emancipating, you know, slaves in currently held territory. It's no more expansion. Where it's at, that's where it stays. You guys have to figure it out. Right. He was, he said yeah. that he was going to stop the expansion and let it die out naturally. But, of course, the slave states see that as an attack on themselves. And they are now a minority in the House of representatives and they are now facing a minority in the senate and electoral college as well so just before lincoln's able to take office in 1861 seven slave states declared their succession and joined to form the confederacy and that's where we're going to leave it this week cliffhanger dun dun yeah, this was a very heavy, heavy episode. We don't normally plug other podcaster content creators, but for anybody who wants to know more about the causes of the Civil War, and this gentleman does an excellent job citing sources and showing them, uh, Atun Shea films on YouTube his Checkmate Lincolnite series. Very informative, very amusing too. I heartily recommend it. All right. So, next week, we're going to get into uh, the specific successions of the states and the beginning of the war. So, that is going to be, hopefully, not as heavy as this week was. Well, I mean, it's it's the Civil War. Um, it Over a century and a half later, people still get up in arms about it, if it's brought up. Yeah. So, any parting thoughts before we pull back into port? Well, folks, um, if you say it's about states' rights, you're right. It was about states' rights. To own what, though? Slaves. 
Yeah, you notice that how every single reason came back to one reason, the very top reason that we started with. If you wish to email us, you can reach us at US Navy History Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can even tweet at us at USN History Pod. Very, very good, Exo. I am so proud of you. Four weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Fair winds and following seas. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing. Thank you.